I don't really need to be up here anymore. So no, I'm going to let you preach. Thank you. Yeah. yeah Do you want to preach with me? Here. I could. It would be fun. No. Maybe not effective. No, because I didn't plan for it. I didn't either. So, yeah. Okay. So I'll just okay. Joel Van Merfergen. Well, good morning, everybody. I am... Well, that wasn't a very good, good morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I told the Edge kids one time that because when I go into the Edge room, I yell good morning at them every morning. And so I told them, I said, the next time that I'm up here and I say good morning, if you guys are still in here, you need to yell good morning because none of your parents do it. So good morning. morning. All right. So I I am super excited to be up here. I'm I'm excited to be able to preach. But the bummer of it is that Pastor Kurt is not here. He is in Thailand. Uh, and I really enjoy having Pastor Kurt sit in that front row when, when we're up here because he's very affirming. He's very, he acknowledges truth. And when, whenever he hears something that he likes, whenever he hears truth, you get like an amen or a yeah, that's good. You know, something like that. He probably doesn't say it with that much style, but, but he, he does, he does acknowledge it. So since he's not here, that means I need you guys to be a little bit more lively this morning. So the people, the people in the front have it easy because you can just speak quietly like Pastor Kurt does. But growing up, I went to a church where there was a man in the church and every time he would hear truth, you'd get a woo. And it didn't matter where he was at. You knew that Spencer was there because you'd always hear woo. So if you're in the back, you got to be loud for me and give me some woo at some point. Okay. And all of you in the back are like, man, I sat in the back for a reason. Dang it. But no, I am I am super excited to, to be up here today. Um, this is my first time in what we in children's ministries get to uh, talk about giving a full sermon in big church. Uh, so I'm super pumped to be able to give a, a full sermon. And, and I know that I knew that this day was coming. I, I could tell that it was coming. So a couple months ago, I sat down with my mom and I said, Mom, here's the deal. I know I'm going to be preaching soon. And I know that my first sermon is going to have something to do with my testimony. So I don't want you to hear about all the bad things that I did and start crying in the front row. So I want to, I want to tell it to you now. So I laid out all the bad things that I've done in my life. Most of them, not all of them, most of them. But the, and then the funny thing is, is that today I'm not even giving testimony. So mom, you're good. Um, so, but. But the best thing about being able to confess when you're adult is that you don't get in trouble. You, you actually, it, it actually gets kind of fun. We actually got to laugh about a couple of things that I did. So, um, but I do want to open up and I do want to share some stuff about that, that's happened in my life. Um, in early 2003, my wife and I were expecting our first child. Um, and about seven o'clock in the morning, my wife came to me and she said, something's not right. Something's wrong with the baby. And after calling the doctors and praying, basically all we could do was wait. She laid on the couch and we just sat and waited. And in that time, I sat there completely helpless, unable to do anything, just watching my wife in pain and in fear. See, becoming a mom was what she'd always wanted. We were, we were sophomores in high school when we met, and she did one of, we, we all have to do in high school, we have to do those uh, career assessment tests, where they ask you all sorts of questions, and, and then that tells you what you're going to be when you grow up. Um, but for her, she said, I don't need to do it. 
And they're like, no, you need to. She goes, no, I already know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a wife and a mom. And they're like, no, that's not good enough. You have to actually come up with a career. And so they went back and forth arguing about the viability of that option for a while before they actually forced her to go ahead and do it. And then years later, we got to, we saw that counselor in a, in a, in a store. And it took all of me not to just go become a six year old and go, nah, 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 nah. But I didn't. I didn't. We were all good. But in this moment right here with my wife, that dream was being taken away. And our baby was dying. I had a man who worked, worked with me, who he, he stopped by to pick up some tools and he asked me, he said, can, can I come in and pray with you guys? I said, Absolutely. I mean, that's the best thing we could do, right? So he came in, he knelt down, we prayed together. And as he went to leave, he turns and he looks at my wife and he says, remember, don't worry because that's a sin. I'm like, dude, bad timing. Not the best timing, right? And you know that moment in a movie where somebody like, snaps they just can't take it anymore and then it comes back to reality and they realize they were just daydreaming i think i had that moment like i don't know how long i was standing there staring at him thinking about all the things i wanted to do to him at that moment but i said thank you and sent him on his way with the grace of god well i stayed strong for my wife through that whole ordeal and it was about a month before i faced it before i faced the emotion of it and at that moment, my wife had to become strong for me. We were watching a movie, and at the, end of a mo- at the end of this movie, a baby died. And it triggered something in me. And I went into the kitchen, and I just crumbled on the floor in tears. And my wife held me as I just said, Why would you do this, God? Why would you do something like this? Why would you hurt us? I don't understand. It didn't make sense. I knew who God was supposed to be. I knew who I believed he was. But what was happening in my life didn't line up with what I believed. And I didn't know how to respond. Well, today, we're going to start a powerful new series called Why? Asking God the Hard Questions. And we're going to start looking at the book of Habakkuk this morning. We're going to start in chapter 1. And this this is an important book to me. Because about eight months ago... God started speaking to me and he showed me the book of Habakkuk as I read it. And, and he just kept pouring it into me. And I kept, I, I like listen to podcasts and I read books and I watched videos and, and I just studied this book. So when the opportunity came to preach on it, I was all in. It was, I was jumping forward because God spoke through Habakkuk. He spoke through his struggles and his questions and I connected with him. Before we get into the word, can we take a minute to ask God to bless this time? Lord Jesus, I thank you that, that you've given us this chance to, to explore your word. I thank you that you do speak through your word. Lord, I pray that as I speak, it's not my words, it's your words. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open the hearts of the people who need to hear this today. Because this is a universal message. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So a little backstory on Habakkuk. Uh, we don't know a lot about him. We believe that he lived somewhere between the years 712 and 586 B.C. 
He's what's called a minor prophet. Now, the Old Testament is broken into three parts. It's broken into the Torah or the teachings, and then it's broken into the prophets and the writings. And inside the prophets, there are major and minor prophets. And the major prophets, there's five of them, and they total up to 183 chapters. And then there's the 12 minor prophets who total up to only 67 chapters. So the term minor is only, it, it only determines the length of their prophecy. It's not, it's not saying that they're any less important. Um, but Habakkuk is right in the middle of all the other prophets that you just don't understand how to pronounce their name. So I got advice for you. If you don't know how to pronounce a name in the Bible, just say it with conviction and then everybody thinks they're wrong and you're right and you're all good. But Habakkuk's name is actually pretty interesting. There's two different different definitions to his name. First is he that embraces, like being wrapped tight, almost like wrapping up in a blanket. And then the other is a wrestler. Embrace and wrestle. Two things that are similar, but very different. And as we look at the book, we're going to see Habakkuk do both. Do you ever feel like you're both? You're an embracer and a wrestler? Like, like bad things happen and, and, and those parts of life just don't make sense with what we know of a loving God. But at the same time, we can embrace God in that struggle. You know, as we know, as we get to know Habakkuk, um, it's, it's best to understand what he's facing. We, we know that he, he was living during the reign of King Manasseh. Now, King Manasseh is the son of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king. He loved God. He, he worshiped God. He brought the people to God. But then Manasseh took over. And Manasseh was a bad boy. And he went and he reversed everything his dad did and started worshiping uh, idols, brought idols and Asherah poles into the temple and worshiped fake gods like Baal. Uh, and then he tortured or he persecuted the, the prophets. He even participated in sorcery. And sacrifice his own sons in fire. But there's something different about Habakkuk than the other prophets. See, typically a prophet would speak to the people on behalf of God. And most of what we read of the prophets is, you know, them going to the people and saying, turn back to God, turn away from your evil. But Habakkuk was different. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. He, he saw all this violence and corruption that was happening in Judah at the time. And so he went to God to say, what are you doing? He didn't understand. So the book of Habakkuk starts. This is a message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a, me- in a vision. The actual translation of the word message is a burden or a weight. This isn't a, hey, how you doing type message. This is something heavy, something troubling. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. What are you doing, God? This doesn't seem right. All this evil, all this violence. God, I just want them to turn to you. Where are you? Why aren't you doing something? And right away, we see Habakkuk struggling with questions like we often do. God, I've been waiting for the right person to come along. Why don't you ever show them to me? I've worked and I've worked on my marriage. So why'd they leave me? Why can't we get pregnant? Why'd my baby die? Why are my kids turning away from you when all I have done is teach them about your love? 
Why do I have cancer? Why have I had to struggle with depression and mental illness and addiction my entire life? I'm so tired of fighting with myself, God. Where are you? Why aren't you doing something? Habakkuk is hurting like us. And he just doesn't understand why God isn't doing anything. Let's go back to verse 3. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Habakkuk is asking God some pointed questions, ones that we often want to ask. Where are you, God? Why don't you seem to care? Why aren't you doing something? I know you can, but you don't. Why don't you seem fair? He's putting it all out there, not holding anything back from God, being open and vulnerable. So growing up, I think we all heard our parents say the phrase, because I said so. How many of you guys heard that? How many of you guys swore that you would never say that to your kids? How many of you have said it to your kids? Yep, we all have, right? This is something that happens. And I think that we get this idea that we can't question God and that he'll be angry and he'll give us the because I said so answer. That being a good Christian means staying quiet and not speaking up. Point number one today is it's okay to question God. He isn't going to be angry. He isn't going to punish you. He isn't going to make things harder because you questioned why. Psalm after psalm written by David and others ask the question, struggle with the why. There's entire books like Lamentations and Job where it's all about the why. Even Jesus on the cross when he became sin turned to God and said, why have you forsaken me? This is something that we all struggle with. There's times that are good, times that are bad. Times that are easier and times that are harder. And in those hard times, we often have confusion and hurt. When we choose to follow Jesus, we have what's typically called a mountaintop experience. This is a point where you feel so close to God. Like everything is going right and nothing can nothing can separate you from from that moment right there. Like every verse you read was written for you. Every sermon you hear was spoken for you. You listen into the radio and it had to be played at that moment because you were listening to the radio at that moment. You see a double rainbow and you know it's a sign from God. Everything everything points to your relationship with him, and it seems perfect. I had this around three years ago when I was at a conference called All In for Youth Leaders. And it was there that I realized that ministry wasn't just supposed to be a volunteer thing for me. I was called to be a pastor, and the trajectory of my life needed to change. And at that moment, I decided I'm going to sell things, I'm going to shift my life around, I might even quit my job and sell my house. And then I went home. And real life hit. And can you imagine how my wife responded when I told her that? About as you would expect it to happen. But that's why we have the better half, to speak truth. I have a family, and I couldn't just uproot their lives. I couldn't just push and do this at my time. 
I had to wait for God's time to happen. And then day-to-day life started taking its toll. And pretty soon I didn't feel that fire. I was disappointed and I was frustrated. And this, this is what happens coming down off the mountain. Life happens. And in the morning you wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror and you got a pimple on your face and you're like, I'm 40. Why is this still happening? <laughs> or you go to get coffee and you order a skinny latte and they don't make it sugar-free or fat-free. Or you go to Costco on a Friday afternoon. I don't even need to explain that because you just go to Costco on a Friday afternoon. You get a flat tire going to a meeting and you miss it. Or you go to the gas station to get gummy bears and they don't have any gummy bears. Why are gas stations always out of gummy bears? There's two important things they need to have. Gummy bears and gas. First world problems, right? Then the really big things start to happen. You go to work. And your company tells you that they're downsizing and you're left without a job. You find out your spouse has committed adultery. You bring your child to the doctor for the flu and you find out they have cancer. Or your best friend just says they can't take it anymore and they kill themselves. Everything you felt on the mountaintop fades away. And this is the valley. It is dark. It's lonely It's depressing, it's painful, and you can't understand why this is happening. God, it was so good. I worship you, I give my life to you, I follow you. Why? And in this moment, you face what Henry Blackaby calls in in experiencing God, a crisis of belief. What you believe about God doesn't line up with what you're seeing in front of you. And when we face a crisis of belief, most of us choose one of two options. One, we deny anything that doesn't line up with our beliefs, and we completely ignore any questions or doubts. The problem with this is that it, re- it, it breeds resentment towards God. And then we don't get to see his plans unfold in front of us. Or, number two, we, can comp- we can't comprehend the why, so we turn away from God. And I think this is pretty obvious, right? We should be turning to God not away from him. But there's a third option. We can honestly wrestle with the questions or doubts, lean into God, and continue to embrace our understanding of his goodness. When we have a crisis of belief and wrestle with the hard questions, it can actually grow our relationship with him. It can bring us closer to God as we try to understand his character more, And as we dig deeper into understanding his will. In Mark 9, we see a story about a desperate father and Jesus. It says, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. I love Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spear often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. If you 
can. This man was in a crisis of belief. He has a son who he loves. He's hurting and he's suffering for his son. He's desperate and he believes in God, but he can't understand why this would happen. He's wrestling with the questions, but he is embracing his faith in Jesus. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. I do believe he embraces what he knows of God's goodness. Help me overcome my unbelief. He is wrestling with his crisis. When he says that he's struggling with his unbelief, Jesus doesn't reject him. He doesn't get angry and push him away. Jesus honors him for his wrestling, and he removes the demon. Now Habakkuk is in a crisis of belief. I don't understand what you're doing, God. I want to believe you're in control. I want to believe you have a plan. I believe it, but I just don't see it. God honors those who wrestle, and he honors Habakkuk with an answer. The Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed for I'm doing something in your own day, something you won't believe even if someone told you about it. Yes, finally, God, I knew you were coming through for me. I knew you had my back. I can just imagine the excitement from Habakkuk. But then God needs to finish his instruction and he drops a bomb. I'm going to bring my, your enemies to show you justice. What? Have you... I can't tell you a single time in my life where I was going through something hard and I asked God to give me something even worse, right? Uh, to allow my life to get harder. We don't do that. We ask God to take it away, to make it stop and bring us back to the mountaintop. Have you ever felt like you ask for deliverance and all God gives you is more oppression? Like when you ask for it all to stop and for things to get better, but they just get worse. And here it goes for Habakkuk. I'm raising up the Babylonians, the cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they're deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Now, during this time, the nation of Judah was split into two kingdoms, the southern and the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had already been conquered by the Assyrians. So in the southern kingdom, Habakkuk has already seen what can happen when a ruthless ruling nation takes over? But the deal is, is that the Babylonians are on the other side of Assyria. So they would have to be even worse, more ruthless, stronger, bad people in order to take over the southern kingdom. And Habakkuk just can't understand. What do you do when you don't understand? What do you do when you find yourself in that crisis of belief? What does a committed believer do when what they know about God doesn't line up with what they're seeing in front of them? Point number two is a committed believer can wrestle with asking God the hard questions and still embrace an authentic faith. We can do both. Look at how Habakkuk responds. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal. I'm embracing your goodness and I love you, God. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out, but I don't understand what you're doing. Oh, Lord, our rock, 
I know you're our strong foundation and I trust you. You've sent these Babylonians to correct us and punish us for our many sins. Why does it seem like you don't care about us, God? But you're pure and you can't stand the sight of evil. You're perfect and your plans are perfect. I'm embracing your goodness. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? But I don't understand how you can do something worse and call it justice. I'm wrestling with these questions, God. Habakkuk knows what he believes. He trusts God. He loves him. He has faith in his plans. But at the same time, he's struggling. He does both. He wrestles and he embraces. Wrestles with the question and embraces his faith in God. And we can do it too when we don't understand. God, I know you want what's best for me. I'm embracing you. But I don't understand why my relationship is falling apart. I'm wrestling. God, I know you're in control. I'm embracing you, but I don't understand why you let my baby die. I'm wrestling. Because a lot of you follow their story on Facebook. This will be familiar with you. There's some friends of ours, Ashley and Jack Winley, whose son JT has been battling cancer. Two years ago, he was diagnosed. And a while ago, it looked like all of our prayers had been answered the way we wanted and he had been healed. But to start this new year... The cancer came back. It was different. It was more aggressive than ever. They tried a special T-cell therapy, but it didn't work. In fact, they found more. I asked Ashley's permission to share her most recent Facebook post. Be prepared because this is hard. I will not make it through it. We got the news that JT's current tumors didn't shrink with T-cell therapy. And he has a new spot formed on his lower spine. They did find that he still has many T-cells in his bone marrow, which they've never seen before. And the fact that his pain is still controlled with minor medications, but his tumors didn't shrink at all is a weird sign too. The oncologists don't know what to think of these things. Our last option at Seattle Children's is a phase one trial involving chemotherapy he's had before and a new drug that is supposed to break down neuroblastoma. The reality of this trial working is highly unlikely thanks to the mutation that he has. Jack and I are, are, are having to make the hardest decision of do we put our child through more rounds of chemo, make him weak again for a trial that is scraping crumbs out of the barrel? Or do we keep him home and enjoy him feeling well right now and accomplish as many things as possible in the time we have? How do you make that decision? How do you give your child the best quality of life without feeling like you're giving up or failing them? We made the decision to bring him home and scan him again in six weeks. The doctors are trying to get more info on the last trial as they don't have anyone enrolled at Seattle in it. But we're fairly certain we won't put him through it. We've connected with the local hospice care team. And we'll meet with them on Sunday. They'll provide any medical care we need for JT in the future so we don't have to travel back to Seattle all the time. Their goal is to keep him comfortable as his pain will come back. I want to vomit just typing this. It's been the hardest week for us out of two years since he's been diagnosed. I've been strong from the beginning looking at what's next. Now we don't have that. Now we have to prepare for our child's death. Now we have to prepare our four-year-old to lose his brother and his schoolmates and friends. 
Now we have to plan our last, last vacation, last photo shoots, last hugs, and last kisses. We don't know how long it'll be until his pain comes back or how long we have with him. We don't know what the next steps are. We are still taking it day by day, and we will see how much growth he has in six weeks. We will know a little bit more then. I'm not sure we even know how to process our emotions. I'm bawling in the middle of the grocery store. I'm zoning out all the time. I can't focus. I can't hear a song without thinking what it'll be like on earth without my child. As a dad, I cannot imagine this. The hurt I feel for JT, for his brother, for his family, for his parents, it is immeasurable. They're in the deepest, darkest valley with no what's next. How do you process something that is so painful? But this next statement that she made is the most important and the most beautiful. The only thing I know is Jesus saves. We don't know his plan. I know I can cast all my fears on him. One day, I will see my baby again. But that doesn't take away any of the pain. Ashley is wrestling. She's wrestling with what she doesn't understand. God, I don't know your plan. I don't know why this is happening. What your reasoning is. But she is embracing what she knows about God. Jesus, you save and I will cast all my fears on you. I don't know the why, but I will trust you. When I asked Ashley if I could share this, she told me that her faith has been her foundation through this entire journey. Not her family, not her friends, but her faith in Jesus. God will never give us more than we can handle, right? Wrong. Pastor Kurt talked about this a few a little while ago, and God, God didn't say that. That's a wrong interpretation about temptation in our lives. Sometimes when we're in the valley, the pressure just doesn't seem to stop. More and more can come at us until there is no other option but to hold on to God tighter and tighter and tighter than we ever have before. And if we let go of what we know about his love, we sink deeper and we realize just how much we need him. Point number three, going through valleys is key to our spiritual maturity. When my wife and I were in premarital counseling, on the first day, our, par- our pastor asked us the question, have you ever been in a fight? I don't mean like leave the toilet seat up and down type fight or like creamy peanut butter, crunchy peanut butter, or even like cats and dogs. We all know that dogs are better. I think that, that God gave us the cats in like part of the curse. There's like, it talks about toiling, and then down at the bottom, there's a little footnote that says, and I gave you cats too. But I was, I was down at my, my sister-in-law's house in Texas, and I was making coffee, and her cat walks across the counter, looks at me, literally stares me down in the eyes, and goes, and pushes my coffee off the counter. No, cats are bad, dogs are good. But that's not the kind of fight that we're talking about. We're talking the kind that makes you question whether you're really meant to be together. Like, are you really my soulmate? Can I do this forever? That kind of fight. 
And our response was a definite yes. We'd been through an entire year of that. And we almost called it quits. And he said, good. Because if you hadn't, I wouldn't marry you. Every relationship needs to be tested, needs to be challenged in order to become mature. Our relationship with God gets tested in the valleys. It gets strengthened in the valleys. It gets matured in the valleys. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But when we pull in close, when we embrace tighter and tighter, does it always get better? No. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. God has plans that we can't understand. Plans that are bigger, more elaborate, and longer stretching than you could ever imagine. Sometimes the path he wants you to take isn't across the valley, it's through it. Sometimes that path goes to the deepest and darkest part of the valley. And when you are there, it is okay to wrestle. It is okay to question. But cling to God tighter than you ever have before. Embrace him and let him embrace you back. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. God promises the valleys. He promises hard times. Guess what, people? Life isn't easy. Sickness, pain, sin, it all exists. There are going to be valleys, but God promises he is close beside you. He will stay there and he will comfort you and he will protect you. When you fall into those valleys, when you go deep, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be confused, even angry sometimes. But hold on tight to God's goodness. Embrace him and rest in his comfort. If you're here today, and you've been thinking, I've been in this valley for so long. I've, I've never had a mountaintop experience. I've never met Jesus. If you're listening to, talk, to us talk about how, how good God is and how he's with you, but you've been trying to go through this valley alone. I want you to know today just how valuable you are to God. So valuable that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. He lived a life and he went through all of it. All of the hardships, all the difficulties and all of the temptations and throughout all of it, he remained sinless. And at the end of it, he was killed. But he wasn't murdered. He gave his life freely for us because he knew that the only payment for sin is death. And the only way to pay for all of our sins was for the perfect, sinless God to die for us. But three days later, he rose from the dead and he defeated death and proved once and for all that he is God. And now, if we choose to repent 
If we choose to turn away from our sin and choose to follow him, we're given the gift of eternal life. Eternal life in heaven. Eternal life where where it's all joy. Where it's all peace. Where it's always a mountaintop and never a valley. We are given eternal life in the holy presence for with God. If you're in that valley, you're wandering, you're searching for something, but you don't know what it is. You might not even know why you are here today. God's calling you to him. God's calling you to him. He loves you and he wants to welcome you into his family. He wants to embrace you and have you embrace him. If that's you today, if you want Jesus in your life, you can have him. You can have him. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you gave your life for me, that you didn't just hang out in heaven and watch us go through all of it. Jesus, you came to earth, that you lived a sinless life. And at the end, you gave your life for me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Screw up. But today, I choose to turn away from that. I choose to repent and I choose to follow you. I want my life to be about you, not about that anymore. I want to be made new. So make me new today, Jesus. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, come inside me and take over my life. Today, Lord, it's not my life anymore. It's yours. I give it to you. But God, I know that there's people here They've been to that mountaintop. They've met you. They love you, Lord, but they are deep, deep, deep down in the valley. And they are hurting. They're breaking. They're reaching. God, show them how close you are. Comfort them. Protect them. Show them your love. Help them to wrestle But Lord, help them to embrace you. Thank you that you never leave us. You will never leave us. That you are with us forever. Oh, we love you, Jesus. There's some hearts that are being changed today. And we want to thank God for those hearts. We want to thank God for the work that he is doing. So will you all please stand with us. And let's worship God. Let's worship him. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That he is not only having fun on the mountain with us. But that he's close in the valley too. Oh Lord God we thank you. We thank you that we can say yes I will. Because you are with us in those lowest valleys. And we can praise you God. Because you are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be spending the next few weeks going through this series of why. Asking God the hard questions. And, you know, the interesting thing is, I I didn't talk about this at the first service, but in Linden, we kind of have this thing of we try to make everything look beautiful all the time. 
but it's not. All of us have stuff that goes on inside. And we all need to hear this. We all need to know this. So we're going to be spending a few weeks. It's going to get hard. But in all of it, we're going to learn how God is with us all the way through. And we can always turn to him. So today, if you need prayer, we're going to have people up front that will pray for you, that will pray with you. So you can come on up front. For the rest of you, have a great day and let this week be awesome.